There are things in our lives, decisions we have to make, that are tougher than others. These are the big decisions. What to do for a career, where to live, who to live with. What makes these so tough is that we often can't really know if they're the right choice until we've already decided and let it play out a bit. Now, some of them are reversible. You can move cities, sometimes you can switch careers, and you can break up with your partner. But there's probably no big decision that has quite the same bigness about it as having children does. I live with my wife Annika and Charlotte. My name is Charlotte Hobson. I am Eric's sister-in-law. <laughs> I was going to say stepsister. <laughs> I think we should leave it like that. Charlotte's taking environmental science, and a little while ago we were talking about whether or not she wants to have children. She has a view that I hadn't really encountered before. Um, I hadn't really like fully committed to having a child, but I suppose in the back of my mind I knew that I at some point would want to. But for my conservation class, we were told to watch this film called Earth 2100, um, in which they predict the world and the way that it'll change with climate change, um, and sort of the impacts it'll have on people. And it just sort of goes through all of the hardships that will be faced by these people who are living um, up until 2100. And I guess it just kind of dawned on me that that's quite soon. And so if I have a kid in the next 10 years, they will live through all of these potential things that are uh, not only likely, but also quite um, like we can't really avoid them. We know that they're coming in the future. Um, I guess the scale of the impacts in this film made me think that, yeah, bringing a child into that seems wrong. This might seem pessimistic, but in environmental science, it's more like realism. Bad things are coming. We don't know exactly how bad and exactly when, but unless the entire scientific community is completely mistaken, it's going to get rough. That is not up for dispute. But given all this, would it be wrong to have a child? Well, on today's show, we talked to a couple philosophers about the ethics of having children. I dare say it could give birth to a whole new way of thinking about this issue. I'm Eric Matheson. And I'm Jeremy Davis. From the Center for Ethics at the University of Toronto, this is Open Questions. Let's begin by talking about some good and bad reasons for having children. Jean Cazez is a philosophy professor at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. She just published a book entitled The Philosophical Parent. Some might think that we benefit the children by bringing them into existence, but Jean doesn't think so. I don't think we should think of um, life as a gift. I mean, I think that's, that's all very nice and poetic, but it's just not really true. Because to think of life as a gift, you have to take unborn people, um, pre- preconceived people, uh, or just are possible people very seriously. So prior to conception, I guess you could talk about there being a possible child, um, but the possible child is just possible. So the child, a possible child ha- would have to be very real for a gift, for life to be a gift to that child, you know, benefiting that child. So since there are no possible children, they're not really real, um, we don't, life is not a gift. Essentially, talking about being better or worse off requires comparing different lives. We aren't benefiting a child by bringing it into existence, because if we didn't bring it into existence, the child wouldn't be worse off. It just wouldn't exist. So having a child isn't good for the child. But Jean does think that having children is something many of us care about. Suppose that um, your roommate 
had a little melanoma on her leg and she could either decide to have it removed or just let it kill her quickly. Um, would she wonder about the environmental impact of going on and having the rest of her life at that junction? No, she would not. It wouldn't even occur to her because to survive and you know, go on and have more life is just something you're entitled to in some sort of very fundamental way. So the, the claim I would make is that having children is another kind of continuity. It's not personal continuity where I literally go on to live for another 20 years, but it's a kind of quasi-continuity that most people care about deeply. According to Jean, not only is this something we care about, it's also something we're entitled to. So one of the arguments I make in my book, a sort of very fundamental argument that runs through the book, it sort of turns on a um, passage from Aristotle, where Aristotle says that children are self-like to their parents, you know, self-like but separate. And so because children are self-like, when we have children who will go on living when we're gone, it gives us a kind of quasi-survival. Therefore, just as it would not really occur to you to wonder if you're entitled to have literal personal survival for another 20 years and get that melanoma removed, likewise, you are entitled to the kind of quasi-survival that goes with having children. So there are things we care about and things that we're entitled to. For Jean, one of these things is continuity. Many of the projects we take on have this sort of quality. Philanthropists talk about leaving a legacy. Athletes talk about how their records will outlive them. Artists do this too by talking about living on in their work. Jean agrees that there are other options for continuity, but having children is one of the most common forms. You know, each of us wants to have a full lifespan. And most people, we don't want to just disappear from the face of the earth at the end of our lifespan. We want some kind of um, ongoing life. And then the way that most people do that is not by writing War and Peace, it's by having children. Jean's view explains a common intuition. Having children makes us feel better about dying. It also explains why there's a difference between having genetically related children and adopting. An adopted child can give you that sense of continuity and can be self-like. And so I don't mean to denigrate adoption at all. But I think some people can adopt, can have that relationship with an unrelated child and some people just can't. So it just doesn't make sense to say that um, everybody ought to adopt. So we're entitled to have children, but how many should we have? Jean's view is simple. More children, more continuity. She says that having more children gives us a stronger foothold in the future. But that doesn't mean there's no limit. So, you know, I think there's this kind of this basic entitlement to, to survive, to keep on going, have that kind of continuity. So you're entitled to have a child, and I even think two children or three children or whatever. Um, but that's not to say that it wouldn't be good in some sense to be sort of socially responsible and think about how many you should have. So there's like that sort of basic entitlement there. But on the other hand, it's good for there to be social messages that make us sort of think about environmental impact. Here's a little analogy. Um, when there's a lot of rain in Dallas, we get these messages on the radio that say, you know, don't drive your car. But it's not like you're not entitled to. I mean, you can still get in your car. That's not a wrong thing to do. But you should think twice about it. So I think that we can, it makes sense to say we're entitled to have children. But I'm all for messages to the effect that, you know, we, we should probably think twice before having five children. So that's the pro side. 
Jean's view reflects in practice what I think many people believe. We can have as many children as we want, although having a lot of children can be a bad idea for different reasons. Not everyone is convinced that continuity is possible or that it matters, though. Take Woody Allen, who said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve immortality through not dying. I don't want to live on in the hearts of my countrymen. I want to live on in my apartment. So one way of objecting to Jean's view is by taking issue with the idea of continuity. But there are other ways of arguing for restricting the number of children we should have. I'm Sarah Conley. I am a philosopher specializing in ethics at Bowdoin College. And I wrote a book recently called One Child, Do We Have a Right to More? Here's Sarah's description of the book. Well, we all know certain facts. So the United Nations projects that given our present rate of fertility, that is the number of kids we have now, and even assuming that that drops a bit, we're going to have a population of 9.7 billion people by the year 2050, and then an 11.2 billion population by 2100. So the moral question is, what should we do? Everyone seems to agree that that is not a sustainable number. That is, if there are that many people, a lot of them are going to be suffering really badly. So the quick answer, I think, is morally, uh, we should have fewer children. And I argue that morally, we shouldn't have more than one. We don't have a right to have more than one. And I argue that, of course, it's best if we do that voluntarily, if we just see the facts and restrain ourselves. But I also argue that it would be okay for governments to step in and try to regulate population as long as they do that in certain ways. Sarah's motivation for focusing on reducing the number of children we have is that other ways of protecting the environment just aren't working. Global agreements like Kyoto and the Paris Accords are making progress, but not nearly at the rate we need in order to prevent the worst effects of climate change. Sarah says the same about blaming developed countries. She agrees that countries like the U.S. and Canada pollute more per capita than poorer places. But assigning blame isn't fixing the problem. But reducing the number of children might. So how can we achieve that? Sarah suggests three options in order of extremeness. First is contraception. Well, I think the first thing and the most easy thing would be to make contraception free and readily available. So we know that uh, a lot of pregnancies are unwanted. And we know that even in a place like the U.S. where contraception is technically available, uh, some of the more popular forms require that you go to a doctor. They also require money. You may not have a doctor nearby. You have to get on the bus and go somewhere. And of course, in the long run, if you were being fully rational, you'd say, well, it's worth it to get on the bus and pay some money to avoid an unwanted pregnancy. But in the short run, you often just put it off. You know, you're like, yeah, of course I shall do that, but not today. Then there are a lot of countries where there really is no availability, and those, not surprisingly, are the places with the highest fertility rates. So the first thing we could do is make contraception available, give it away, and make it local. And that would have some impact without disturbing anyone. Contraception can be combined with incentives and disincentives. You could incentivize having fewer children by giving a tax break. 
At present, you get a tax break if you have a child. I don't think that's why people have children, but it is true. Uh, and you could have a substantial disincentive for having more than one child. One advantage of a tax system is that when you pay taxes, we know what your income is. And that would mean that we could make it a graduated scale according to wealth so that you know it wouldn't just be rich people can have all the kids they want and poor people can't. So I like the idea of a tax break for having fewer children and a tax penalty for having more. And finally, it might be necessary to institute fines for having too many children. Beyond that, if we don't want to do it through taxes, we could just have a straightforward fine for having more than one child. And again, it would have to be on a graduated scale, so it would affect everyone equally. Fines are different from tax incentives and disincentives. In part, the amount might be different, but also because they send a different message. They say, look, this is really wrong. And typically, if people think that other people in their society think what they're doing is wrong, then they don't want to do it. It's not true of everyone, obviously. We have criminals. But typically, that expressive power of law uh, is convincing. Of course, a fine for having children would be a big difference from the way many governments encourage people to have children now. I asked Sarah how she would respond to people like Jean, who think that we're entitled or have a right to have as many children as we like. Well, I'd say, okay, if you have this right to have as many children as you want, tell me why. And there are different justifications we can give for claiming a right. And you do, you can't just say, I really want it, therefore I have a right. So some people will say, well, you have a right to something if you really can't live a decent human life without it. And that's why some people argue we have a right to food or a right to health care, both of which I think are correct. I think it's hard to argue that you can't have a decent human life with only one child. Lots of people live decent human lives, great human lives, with no children. Lots of people live great human lives with one child. So I think it's very hard to argue that it is somehow, you know, a minimal requirement of living that you have as many kids as you want. Another way of arguing that you have a right to have as many children as you want is that we believe in sort of freedom of expression. You get to choose to live the way you want. A right based just on what we call autonomy, the ability to run your own life. Okay, that's good. But we all know that when it comes to that kind of right of living the way you want, it's always limited by how much harm you're doing to other people. So yeah, if I want to swing my fist, I have a right to do that unless it's going to hit you in the nose. And in this case, I think we have to say, look, unfortunately, it wasn't like this in the past, but right now, having more than one child is too harmful, and you don't have a right to hurt other people like that. Both Jean and Sarah noted some of the broader demographic challenges we face. Here's Jean. When um, people have too many children, we kind of picture all these bad things happening. But when people have fewer than the replacement rate, there are other bad things that happen. So when a, the population um, in an affluent country shrinks, there get to be too few young people to support the older people and to you know pay into Social Security. 
And so that's why you have sort of in incentivizing of reproduction in countries like Japan and Canada and, you know, in European countries. So when you picture this world in which you're having just one or none, there, there may be less flooding, you know, some, in some place, but there will be also a, a lot of, you know, serious problems more locally. If everybody, if, if not just, if you're not the only one who's doing it, if everybody starts having just one and the population shrinks, there will be huge social problems locally. But as Sarah notes, there are economic problems going the other way too. Well, some businesses are opposed to a shrinking population, and I should note it wouldn't shrink forever, but it would shrink down to a sustainable number, and then you'd allow more children. They're opposed to that because they say, look, our profits depend on growth. Growth depends on having more people consuming our chewing gum or floor wax or whatever. But a lot of people have pointed out that you, on a finite planet, which is what we got, you can't just keep using resources more and more and more and more. You run out. And that is bad for the economy. So it's very short-sighted to say, well, it's good for the economy to have growth when you perfectly well recognize you can't have endless growth. So two, there are two options. One is you wait till you literally run out and there's war over diminished resources. Or you get on top of it earlier and go, okay, we can't have this unlimited growth of resources. We need to figure out a different way, a steady state economy, as it's called. And if that's not doable, then we are just bound for destruction. I told Sarah about the predicament my sister-in-law Charlotte is in. She was worried about the issues of justice that it raised. I admire that attitude. At the same time, I don't want it to come to that. I don't want people who are extremely conscientious to have no children, and then people who aren't conscientious to have more. I think it's not fair. Again, that's one reason I like the, the role of government, is that it could equalize things. Because if we all cut back how many children we have, then your sister-in-law could have one. It wouldn't just be, oh my gosh, I can't have one because i got to make up for what these other people are doing. Jean was also worried about the implications of Charlotte's conscientiousness. I want to just sort of start with like an unofficial point. It's not in my book anywhere, but okay. you know, if people like your roommate worry about these things, then they may have no children or fewer children. Meanwhile, somebody like Donald Trump Jr. has five children. Um, you know, very, very few people will have these environmental worries. And there is kind of a, a problem if the sensitive, thoughtful people who care about justice are the only ones who cut back on how many children they have. And, and, you know, the Donald Trumps of the world have tons of children. So maybe the real question isn't how many children we should have, but how ethically we raise them. This episode was produced by Eric Matheson and me, Jeremy Davis. The music was written and performed by Marku Wainman. If you haven't already, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at OQ Show. Send us your thoughts on having children at openquestionsshow at gmail.com. Sarah Conley's book is One Child, Do We Have a Right to More? It's available from Oxford University Press. Jean Cazez's new book is called The Philosophical Parent, Asking the Hard Questions About Having and Raising Children. It's also available from Oxford University Press. 